Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Because it's Friday, we are joined by Tim Miller, who, who is like on West Coast time. So you have to get up pretty early for, for this. So I, I, I do appreciate the amount of caffeination that has to. I'm sorry. I appreciate uh, the degree which you need to be caffeinated to do this podcast. Yeah, you know, I think that people notice on these podcasts that I I pick up steam as we go along, yeah. you know, and that's nice. Maybe I think that's in touch with people's Friday uh, moods themselves. They get increasingly riled up, and it is. I, I do I do feel like it's tough for me to compete with last Friday's Tyler Merritt podcast yeah. on the energy department. That du- that dude has energy. Uh, he 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 went full Hulk uh, energy. So actually, I was kind of hoping that you would have. Uh, you know, gotten a couple of extra shots this morning because I was up way past my bedtime last night because, of course, I Why? stayed up I, because I stayed up to watch the end of that epic Packer game with the Cardinals. Mm, yeah. I mean, OK, now what you have to understand. I mean, so the Packers are se- America's team. America's team is now seven, seven and one. Uh, going on the road, beating the only, you know, I, were they the only other uh, undefeated team? Well, p- people will correct me one way or another. But, hey, so here's the thing. Packers were without their top three receivers. They were without their top two cornerbacks. They're all pro left tackle. They're all pro pass rusher. They were without their starting center and their defensive coordinator, they had to travel across the country to play the last undefeated team on Thursday night. They had less than basically 72 hours between walking off Lambeau Field on Sunday and wheels up from Green Bay. So um, as the Journal Sentinel reports this morning, they were fighting with one hand behind your back odds against the Arizona Cardinals. And the Packers left the Arizona desert with what might be the most impressive win of Matt LaFleur's three-year tenure. <laughs> and I'm by the at- way, well, they were supposed to be terrible. We were supposed to get Aaron uh-huh. Rodgers out of the Broncos. All the, all the gossip in Denver was Aaron was leaving. He's coming to Denver. Things are collapsing in Green Bay. And, and they have the best record in football right now. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, see, part of the problem was it was late. Um, you know, watching the, watching the game, and and then of course the way it ends, where it looks like the Cardinals are either going to tie and go into overtime or win, because they're at the what eight yard line with fifteen seconds to go, twelve seconds to go, uh, so they're either going to get a, a a field goal or score a touchdown, and then they throw this interception. But this is amazing interception. I, I'm I'm up on my phone replaying it, trying to figure out because the uh, the cornerback uh, Rasul Douglas. Who, who was just picked up from the practice squad of the Cardinals this last week. I mean, uh, whatever. But you look at the picture, and whoever the intended receiver was clearly had no idea the ball was coming to him. I mean, it's just like it, there's a picture that I'm looking at right now where, you know, Rasul uh, Douglas, uh, whose name I've never spoken before, obviously, um, is, <laughs> is, is intercepting the ball with one hand, and the Cardinal is literally looking the opposite direction. Like, what? Well, I mean, he's not even—he's not even focusing on the ball. Nothing. So I don't know. Well, congratulations on the victory. I did not get to watch because, and for for people who want more culture chat and not more doom and gloom about politics, we at the next level for Bullard Plus subscribers, yep. we've had the, the the listeners have demanded an all Chappelle podcast since I wrote about you know Chappelle and the other human dingleberries this week who are complaining about being silenced when they're when they're actually succeeding beyond any the, anyone's wildest dreams but i never actually watched Chappelle before writing that i just read all the takes about it 
So I, d- I could not watch football last night. So to prepare for our Bulwark Plus all Chappelle hot takes all the time, uh, which you know you can get if you subscribe, uh, uh, which we're taping after this, I-, I had to watch Chappelle. But the problem is I, f- I fell asleep. So, so I, wow. I need to go. I need to go finish it. I need to go finish it after we take. Okay. So, do you consider uh, Chappelle a Dingleberry? Uh, I don't. I, I mean, okay. I wasn't really lumping. I, I, yeah. I, I, he he he's acting as a Dingleberry when he complains about how the mean trans activists are coming after him. When uh, I, I believe no. it was last night, actually, because I saw the sign in New Orleans. Him and Joe Rogan are, have sold out. The basketball arena. The basketball team can't even sell out the basketball arena in New Orleans, but they can. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that there's a can- any cancellation concerns. I, I think his complaints are Dingleberry-ish, where yeah. his maybe his his essence is not in the same way that it might be for I don't know. Okay, so b- 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 very briefly for our audience, uh, yeah. you may not have seen your your epic piece in the Bulwark about <laughs> all the Dingleberries who, in fact, are are doing very very well. I, I mean, it, we we actually are living in this golden age of the Dingleberries, where you can be canceled. And what, you know, quadruple your income? Actually, that understates it rather dramatically. So a dingleberry is, and not to be confused uh, with a dangleberry or a dongleberry. Yeah, well, I, we don't, we don't, people can urban dictionary the um, more more gross and evocative definition of dingleberry. But I, I was okay. talking about the human dingleberries who are um, enriching themselves with hot and contrarian takes about politics in the world. There is a, I think, uh, there's this notion on the right that <laughs> there is this notion on the right that that, that people who who uh, participate in ver- verboten speech are being silenced and we're in this historic crisis of speech. And, and I think that there, there are certain areas where I'm concerned at certain things, areas of, of speech. One area I'm not concerned is people who want to be political pundits and commentators because People who want to say, you know, hateful things, say verboten things, be contrarians, be assholes for the sake of being assholes, they're killing it. The entire Substack ranking is never Trumpers and people who are being assholes for the sake of being assholes. Um, like the entire right wing media, the Daily Wire, has built the biggest media company in America on the back of of saying, you know, sexist and quasi-bigoted and quasi-conspiratorial and sometimes really conspiratorial shit. And, you know, the types of people that would have never had an audience, like imagine in the 1980s, you know, I I wrote, what do you think Diamond and Silk or, (laughs) like, what do you think their audience would have been like in the 1980s? Nothing. They would have been nothing. They would have either been writing letters to the editor or, you know, screaming into the void, maybe on a street corner. Like, uh, you know, and they've got two million followers on Facebook. They're monetizing it. So for all these concerns of free speech, it's actually the opposite. That that my dingleberry maxim is today and tomorrow and the next day will be the best day in all of human history for morons to advance their political views. Well, and and you had some stats there that were, okay, this is the... Political speech for human dingleberries has never been more robust. And by the way, I'm, I'm I'm in the process of looking it up because you're obviously not going to define what the word is. But but what you're pointing out is that you know the the breadth and depth of the speech is so vast that somebody who hasn't engrossed themselves in internet political culture might have no idea of its reach. And this is the key thing. So if you're over the age of 35, hands up here. There are people on YouTube and Twitch and TikTok you have never heard of 
who have yeah. significantly larger audiences for their radical political ravings than the most preeminent policy journals had during your formative years. No kidding. So then you yeah. talk about this one guy is a 30 year old smoke show socialist gamer who <laughs> once complimented the Mujahideen heroes for doing something to Dan Crenshaw's eyeball. He makes more than, according to you, makes more than $200,000 a month to share his correct. political insights with 1.5 million followers. So as you point out- While he plays yeah. Grand Theft Auto. He literally yeah. plays video games and talks about why we should all be socialists. And he, and he, and he makes over a million dollars for it. Socialism is paying better than ever. Yeah. And it, I promise you, you write that even in the heyday of Henry Luce's Time <laughs> magazine, no political writer anywhere ever brought in that kind of cheddar. But, but that's absolutely right. So I Yeah, and the next one was Stephen Crowder, five five million. Stephen Crowder is the is the, you know, guy uh, uh socialism is for fags on the other yeah, side of yeah. the socialism thing, yeah. like this he, jerk. Like he, he he has five million YouTube like, like William F. Buckley you know, wasn't pulling in 5 million subscribers for the National Review. No, I don't think and this so. Dude's, this dude's a complete maroon. Um, so you want me to tell you the exact... The no, no, no. Well, no, I'm, 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 you know, I'm looking at Merriam-Webster, okay? No, I so, think you want so, Urban Dictionary. I know, see? <laughs> I think you're, I think you could, you're looking I, for Urban Dictionary. U.S. informal, a foolish, stupid, or contemptible person, right? Huh? Huh? So... Yeah, it's not really what um, I had in mind, but yeah. Or, or slang. I can't even read that. <laughs> a piece of poop that hangs on one of your butt hairs and won't fall off. See, I'm 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 going to make that my my. I'm going to get a I'm going to get a ringtone of Tim Miller saying that. Can, 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 can you pull that? So that I get a ringtone of Tim Miller defining a dingleberry. Okay, well, speaking of dingleberries, I, I want to talk about what happened with Con. I, I feel like we're caught in this this dingleberry loop now. This dingleberry loop of doom, <laughs> yeah. the, the the Tucker video thing. You know, just when you think we're we're dealing with all the crazy, all the nutty stuff, Tucker Carlson is going complete Infowars Alex Jones. He's running, going to be running this. How do you describe it? Like little mini documentary series, where uh, it's going to completely retcon January sixth into a false flag event. It's, uh, I mean, it it's so bizarre that even the Anti Defamation League felt the need to write a letter, another letter to Lachlan Murdoch saying, let me just read you this from, uh, I mean, th this is from Jonathan Greenblatt, who is the CEO of the Anti-Defamation League. The movie's called Patriot Purge, which is apparently set to air on Fox Nation starting this week. And it's going to have all of the, you know, disinformation artists, you know, suggesting the assault on the Capitol was a false flag and the left is hunting the right, sticking them in Guantanamo Bay, leaving them there to rot. And Greenblatt says, let's call this what it is, an abject, indisputable lie and a blatant attempt to rewrite history. As an organization committed to fighting anti-Semitism and all forms of hate, we remain deeply concerned the false narrative and wild conspiracy theories presented by Carlson will sow further division and has the potential to animate violence. And lucky you know how this ends. Lachlan's going to tell him basically, hey, thank you. I really appreciate this. We take this seriously. Pound sand. Uh, we're not going to do anything about Tucker. So your thoughts about this? I, I mean, the ADL, uh, obviously, they need to be um, 
you know, maybe more circumspect in their language uh, and uh, adult in their language than we do on this podcast, but like the <laughs> potential to escalate violence, what was the language there? I yeah, mean, yeah. like if you haven't watched this, this video, I mean, it is extremely, extremely alarming. I, and not, not only is it just conspiratorial and batshit and like just full info wars, January 6th is a false flag. Just just really quick before I get to the violence, yeah, quick yeah. aside on the false flag. Like, I, I've never understood, because this false flag theory has been around since, um, you know, since November. And some people were saying Antifa, some people were saying false flag. And I never really got how, how they knew that the false flag was going to work, right? Like, let's, say, let's, let's even say that they're right about the idea that there are two or three fed boys in there. And they're walking around this crowd of protesters and they're going, let's storm the Capitol and kill Mike Pence. Right. It's like if the if the rest of the protesters were normal, they they wouldn't be like, OK, you know, I, I went to some pro uh, pro gay marriage rallies uh, on the mall back in the days before we can have that. And, you know, if there were a few fed boys in there that were walking around. Uh, you know, going with their painted nails coming up to us being like, hey, guys, like, I, I think that we should, I think maybe we should get out a noose and hang the vice president. What do you think? Should we, should we go into the well of the Senate and poop on the walls and, and, and hit cops over the head with, with the, our rainbow flags? What do you think? Let's do it. Everybody be like, who, who is this crazy person? Like, what the fuck is this person talking about? You know, so, so like, like the whole yeah. theory, even if their theory is correct, that there are a couple of feds in there who are instigating, it's like, how did, how, you know, how did they know that the crowd, that every, you know, that the preponderance of the crowd was going to be like, oh yeah, we're going in. I, I mean, I, I, and obviously there are the, pe the people that were speaking at the rally weren't fed boys. It was sitting members of Congress and the former president of the United States. Other oh, instigators, people that stop the steal, people like Ali Akbar Alexander, who, who is who's, in who, this video. In, in the video, I mean, okay, this is where like, your mind gets bent around. It's sort of inception type stuff. So wait, he organizes this. He's leads this as a riot. Everything is he now going to say I the 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 riot I instigated was not real. I didn't. I mean, it was false. Why? What? Okay, right. I don't want. I don't want to spend any time like relitigating that it's crazy. Okay. It, it's crazy. It is misinformation. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the fact that Tucker is willing to go down this particular rabbit hole. And, and he now in his, he's in a, he's in a pissing match with uh, Liz Cheney, who really is, is calling her. I mean, Liz Cheney, <laughs> this woman's so impressive to me. Uh, you don't have to agree with her, but she is really pushing back. She says, she tweeted out yesterday, it appears that Fox News is giving Tucker Carlson a platform to spread the same type of lies that provoked violence on January 6th. As Fox News knows, the election was not stolen and January 6th was not a false flag operation. And then she tags Rupert Murdoch, Susan Scott, Suzanne Scott, who is the what the CEO, uh, Jay Wallace and Speaker Paul Ryan, who's on the on the board. So, Ooh, I like so, that Speaker well, Paul Ryan tag. Well, and then and then Carlson goes after her like she's too cowardly to come on my show. And they release the exchange where, you know, her spokesman says, hey, thank you for the invitation. Basically, Tucker has had constant. Uh, I'm sorry. Tucker has had countless opportunities to explain to his viewers that the election was not stolen. Instead, he continues to promote dangerous conspiracies using the language that provoked violence against law enforcement and our capital on January 6th. Liz will not participate in that, Jeremy Adler, director of communications. So uh, she, uh, she's, she's, she's calling him out. 
Yeah, and, and rightly. I, and here's the other thing about uh, just, and I know you talked about this a little bit with Nichols yesterday, but, but, but like when you tell people, and I think that that is, you know, the incitement of violence that Liz mentioned in her tweet, and I just, I do love that little shit at Paul Ryan, but, it's, mm-hmm. but, it, but it is, you look at this video, and, and if you're telling people that the government is going to treat you like Guantanamo prisoners, that they're coming to find you, they're coming to waterboard you, and they're coming to kill you for who you are, I mean, what do you expect is going to happen? What do you right, what do right. you expect? I, I feel very much like I felt between November and January sixth, where I'm going. Well, you know, we're on this podcast going. This is pretty crazy, right? Like, isn't this pretty crazy? Isn't something going to happen? And 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 the same that it's, it's a similar it thing, right? Dialing yeah. up, yeah. And dial so, up, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think good on Liz Cheney. Good on her for calling out Paul Ryan. I think that she's obviously completely in YOLO mode. I, I don't know. I don't see or know what her path is to reelection at this point, but. But but it's important to use the platform while she's got it. And and the other thing, just as another, just one more aside on this video, we can do an hour on it. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is pretty bizarre, isn't it? That like now the received wisdom among the Tucker crowd is that the war on terror was bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, sometimes I do feel like I'm taking credit. I'm like, I'm like, wasn't it Fox that was pushing all this stuff for te- like all this time? Like I was there, right? What wasn't it the Democrats no. that were saying that this stuff was bad? I you, you must uh, you remember. Know, so, yeah. Is that right? You misremember. Okay, so speaking of taking crazy pills, among the other developments this week was the endorsement of Herschel Walker for the United States Senate by Mitch McConnell. Now, look, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here and know that Mitch McConnell knows that Herschel Walker is nuts, that he has no no remote qualification to be in the Senate. But nevertheless, he figures that what he has to do this, he, he has to uh, you know, bow this particular knee to the, the, the Trumpists. Um, so you've written about Herschel Walker and to say that Herschel Walker is strange, that he's a problematic candidate is putting it uh, really mildly. So what, what, what does it tell you that Mitch McConnell is going along with with a candidate that would have been, you know, I was from central crazy candidate casting. Um, what? just to what? kind of, you know, put a little, yeah, just to, I, I think that Walker's opponent who probably, you know, is crazy in his own right. So I, you know, we'll, okay. we'll take this all as a grain of salt, but, but he, he, yeah, he put out a statement about Walker that I think just sums everything up that can kind of put some context to what follows. Uh, Gary Black, Herschel has threatened women, choked them, stalked mm-hmm. them, put knives to their throats and guns to their head. Uh-huh. And he claims that he must be innocent just because he never went to jail. Um, well, you said pretty, it like it's a bad thing. Yeah, pretty stark statement there. Um, and 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 like, here's the thing, uh, you know, like we're not that far removed from Todd Aiken, right? When all these guys just just you know all these now certainly we're not perfect back then, but you know, I, I, he just said the stupid statement about about how in a legitimate rape, you know, the body takes care of itself or whatever it is, and the Mitch McConnell's the world were like, oh, we got to back off this guy. Now we have a candidate who is a avowed supporter of the insurrection um, and who has a very, very long um, uh, rap sheet when it comes to his treatment of women. And it's just jumping on board. And, and, and here's why. Here's what it tells us. Is that Mitch McConnell's lost total control of the mob. The mob, the mob yep, controls yep, yep. Mitch McConnell. Yeah, uh, he, he's just sitting on top of, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're storming, they're storming the Capitol and he's just sitting on somebody's shoulders, like coming trying to direct which way to go. Right. That's right. Yeah. I am, I am your leader. Please don't leave me behind here. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, I don't, because 
he he realizes that the doing the going a different direction would do no good. Maybe if he maybe he can co-opt Herschel and like minim and get his own people in there, get Josh Holmes in there, and minimize the crazy by ten percent, and you know help help you know which is the only thing that he actually cares about, which is becoming majority leader again, right? I mean, I mean the what for for, for McConnell like what is good is what is good for him. And and all of his rational rationalizations just work back from that endpoint. Okay, so this is you. You mentioned Todd Aiken. Yeah. This now seems like a just a remote period in in American political history. Sure. Todd Aiken um, made a comment about legitimate rape. Correct. Yes. He was. He was. He had a really good chance of winning um, the Senate seat in Missouri, McCaskill. beating Claire McCaskill, and then he said this this uh, deeply unfortunate, deplorable thing. He about said his point was, yeah, yeah. his point was, legit. If the rape is legitimate, the female body has a way of shutting the whole thing down. Not so, pregnant. Yeah, so you yeah. don't, so you don't get pregnant, so you don't have okay. to have a rape exceptions for abortion. And every that Republican in America, I'm exaggerating slightly, said, "Okay, that's disqualifying. Um, you need to drop out of the race." He refused to drop out of the race. He loses because of that particular comment. So this has become kind of legendary. But it was also a time when Republicans were willing to say, I'm sorry, that goes too far. Okay, so fast forward to 2016 and you have Donald Trump bragging about, hey, when you're a celebrity, you can do anything. You can grab women by the pussies. You can, you know, you know, move on them like a bitch, whatever it was. And Republicans, at least for like five minutes, thought, ooh, this is the kind of thing that until five minutes ago, uh, we would have thought was disqualifying, but this is Donald Trump. Um, bad, bad, bad. But eventually they got around to it, right? It was, they got around to supporting him. They accepted it. It was locker room talk. Remember that? That was the rash. It was just locker room talk. Okay. Fast forward now to today. Now we're talking about Herschel Walker, who doesn't just talk in the locker room, doesn't have one gaffe about legitimate rape, but has threatened women, choked women, stalked women, put knives to their throats, guns to their heads. And yet the GOP at the highest levels has no problem. I mean, they're not stuck with him. They're just preemptively saying he's our guy. I mean, this is this is quite a transition, isn't it? Yeah. And look, there is. I mean, maybe on a policy level, I'm sure many liberal listeners are like, what, what would be the difference? But like with, with our democracy and threat, like, look, I mean, in a different world, who would be running for a Senate and, and for this for this seat? Maybe somebody like uh, Brad Raffensperger or a Jeff Duncan, right? Like, I mean, you know, Lieutenant Governor, uh, Secretary of State, like these are the types of offices that people um, move from into open open Senate seats, right? And And instead, you know, they're getting behind a, a clinically insane pro-insurrection football player. You know, it's like, okay. I, I mean, like that is that is a meaningful difference. And and I think that when you expand that, you go all across the country and, and you know, we'll have time to talk about this next year, but Sean Parnell in yep. in Pennsylvania is also the same. Obviously we've talked ad nauseum about the Ohio Dingleberries. Like they're gonna be the same, right? And, and Eric so, Greitens. Yeah, Eric Greitens. So you're replacing who, who, does, who actually tied women up and photographed them. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so, so you end up replacing um, uh, people who are not profiles in courage, but who did vote to uphold the electoral count. You know, people like Roy Blunt or Rob Portman, and, and you're going to replace them with with pro insurrection, uh, you know, uh, uh, unapologetic sexual assaulters. 
I, I, that that, I, that I, is entropy. That is yeah. a degradation. But we've we've gone from it was just locker room talk to well, it was it was legitimate locker room rape. And I mean, <laughs> right. who are we to say? I don't I don't know. Okay, so because we have to be bipartisan and annoying people uh, today. Is it, is, is it fair to say that the term Cuomosexual is now and forever permanently canceled? <laughs> I, I mean, he's I'm now not. been criminally charged. I mean, we're, we're, yeah. we're done with that. You know, right. Uh, I'm not a canceler, but I think, I, I do think his career has come to, I do think his career has come to an end. And I, you know, I, I, I wish, I wish that there were some lessons learned from that, but it doesn't feel like there were right. I mean, I mean, Cuomo was a nightmare from day one, like both on the, on the sexual harassment stuff, but also on the COVID stuff. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I just, I do think that there would have been a lot more credibility gained um, you know, um, on the left, if, if there was, you know, more of a sense, uh, it came belated, it came. And so credit, it, you got to mention credit where due that eventually the Democrats you said, do. no, we do, our, we are a party that has standards unlike the Republicans, but it came really late. And, and, and I just, you know, I, I think that, that as we continue on this conversation, which I'm sure we're going to talk about BBB and McAuliffe and all this, like the, the to, to gain credibility with this kind of broad center that 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 supported Joe Biden, you know, you got to throw out the bat, you got to throw out these fuckers and say we're different than them. Um, and so they did that belatedly, but boy, um, it was a rough rough few months for the Cuomosexuals. Okay, so let's talk about yesterday. Which, look, I everybody needs to take a deep breath here because um, w- whatever comes out of these negotiations, this has been about as ugly and embarrassing as possible. So. You, you you give me your your take on all of this, but um, Biden comes out and he does prematurely spike the football. He puts the entire prestige of his presidency on the line. Nancy Pelosi puts all of her power and prestige on the line, say we have a deal. We're going to get this deal done. We need to have a vote today. We need to not send the president off to Rome empty handed. And they were planning on having a vote on the bipartisan infrastructure bill yesterday. The progressive caucus basically met and went, hell no, we're not going along with all of this. The vote is canceled. Okay. There's two different versions of this. All right. Just bear with me for a second. Yeah. The Politico playbook is taking the optimistic point of view saying it was really ugly. It was really messy, but, but Biden gets it done despite himself. Um, just when it looked like the day would end in embarrassment for the Democrats, the Congressional Progressive Caucus issues a surprise endorsement of the president's compromise plan, removing one of the last big obstacles. Okay, so really bad, really messy, really ugly. But at the end of the day, good news. Okay, Jake Sherman's punch bowl has a, I would say, more critical point of view. Let me just read what he writes this morning. Let's be abundantly clear. Pelosi, her leadership team, and Biden proved utterly unable to convince progressives that their strategy passed the infrastructure bill in order to give the president a political victory as he departed on a high-profile European trip was a sound one. Biden came to the Capitol twice during the last month at Pelosi's request to talk about the infrastructure bill, yet he was unable to crack the progressives' opposition Yet there's no denying, and then he acknowledges, I mean, obviously there was some progress made, but yet there's no denying Thursday's episode was an embarrassing setback for Democrats, Biden included. Biden was supposed to help Pelosi bridge an ugly split between moderates and progressives. That didn't happen. In fact, it may be even worse. Okay, Tim Miller, your thoughts. 
Yeah. Um, I, my, my big thought is, uh, sure, it's embarrassing. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I don't know that like the process question of like, did they get this vote on the floor, et cetera, on a given day before Biden went on a given trip is all that important. Um, if they end up getting it, I mean, this is the big Bill Crystal uh, speech on the live stream last night about, you know, maybe that they can turn this around, you get both and the economy starts to turn around and, and you sort of have a bad fall. And that's the optimistic and a percept, um, uh, outlook, potential outlook for the, for the Biden administration. My, my thing on, on their screw up to, to me, the screw up is completely around the, the messaging side of side of this whole thing. And, you know, if, if they want to do their internal fighting over getting things passed. Like this is all, all that's always messy, et cetera. Like the thing that I'm worried about is nobody knows what is in this. And I, I wrote about this a couple weeks ago, I think, yeah. uh, but like after the last time I was on this podcast, nobody knows they're not messaging that it's like human infrastructure, BBB, like, like the reconciliation bill. No, nobody knows what is in the bill. They are not selling the bill. And, and, and the, in this fight, this internal fight, has has caused, um, it, you know, where where all of the news coverage about this is: is it going to be three million or one trillion? Are the progressives going to win or is Cinna Mansion going to win? And and nobody is out there saying, hey, hey guys, like we're offering universal pre K. Uh, we're going to build a hundred million more houses to try to relieve some of the uh, upward inflationary pressure on housing. We're going to do some climate work. Like uh, and to do that, we're going to tax people above four hundred thousand. Like that is pop- that would be popular to just tell people here are the three things we're going to do, and here's how we're going to pay for it. Most of those things are popular. It's not going to have one hundred percent popularity, but it's going to have broad popularity in the middle. Right now, nobody knows what they're doing, and and I think that like the people on Twitter kind of get mad at me about this because they're like, well, it's worth it because we're you know we we got to use our leverage to get the best possible deal you can, and it's just like that's not happening. They're not getting anything. They're, all they're getting is fighting, and and the bill is getting more and more complicated. There are a lot of policy folks from the left who are who are saying that this is turning into a hodgepodge bill. So, I just think from the start they would have been much better off to get in a room and say, "What are our two or three priorities we're going to push? What is the one thing everybody can agree that we're going to pay for?" And let's go talk about that, and then we can still fight behind the scenes about you know everybody's little okay, you know but, pet okay. things so, so I, I i agree with you completely on the messaging there's also an arithmetic problem that we need to remind people of is that the progressives have this massive uh, ambition and the massive agenda but they don't have the votes they don't have enough elected congressmen they don't have enough members of the senate uh, and this was always going to be a problem. Uh, they just if they want to get everything they want, they're going to have to win some uh, more elections as opposed to uh, behaving like they are right now, which is to say that, you know, we have the votes for this bipartisan infrastructure bill, but they're threatening to kill it if they don't get everything they want. So uh, I'll, since you talked about people on Twitter, how about this humble suggestion for progs? <laughs> voting against a popular infrastructure bill because it doesn't solve all of life's other problems is not a path to success. And then you quote a mythical, um, this is you, obviously, uh, <laughs> quote a mythical congressman, Representative Tim Miller, is a no on infrastructure because it doesn't make daylight savings time permanent. <laughs> That's right. I'm going to kill the president's agenda because I don't get free eyeglasses. <laughs> It's crazy, Charlie, and and I mean, <laughs> and they're not. And here's the thing: it might. And I feel like I've gone ad nauseum on this, so I'll just keep it no. quick. But like, like 
I, I the argue, the whole premise of the argument is that all that is worth doing because we're going to get more out of it. Just as just as imaginary, it's just made up. It's just like this pro- progressive hive mind, hive mind where they think that they have leverage over Mansion and Cinema. They have no leverage. The Mansion and Cinema don't give a rat's ass about these two bills. Like Mansion, the best thing Mansion could do for for himself politically is for both these bills to be killed and for the squad to say it's Joe Mansion's fault. He'd put that on a TV ad in West Virginia and say, "This is why you need to re- reelect me. I'm the, you're the one man between you and the squad." So. I don't know. Look, I, I think that they're going to get this stuff. I think that there, hopefully there will be important things in these bills. Like, you know, I, I'm particularly, you know, the, the housing stuff is a hobby horse of mine. So, you know, climate, obviously spending is needed. Hopefully they, they will end up getting that. But, but, but like at the end of the day, I do, I do, if you, you just put the policy aside and, and just think about the politics and the long-term medium term politics, I do wonder if like Democrats would have been better off having 49 sentences. Uh, where they didn't have, where Biden didn't have this kind of pressure on him, because like I, I, ju- I just think that the expectation that that he's going to give everybody a pony um, when they have just fifty Senate seats w- is uh, is obviously misguided. So um, you know, uh, I, I, hopefully, hopefully they can get a, a stripped down thing through through and fix this stuff uh, and 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 lay out the crystal plan of riding the ship by winter, but boy, yeah, I don't, it's See, ugly I, right now. I, I think their other messaging problem, because nobody really knows what's, what's in it is that people know that it's really a shitload of money yeah, and right. you, you, you add together, um, the, and by the way, you know, you have to look at your notes even to remember the names of these things, you know, the build back better, which may be the worst marketing handle of the, of the decade, the build back better bill is what nearly $2 trillion. And then you have the BIF, uh, the bipartisan <laughs> infrastructure bill, uh, you have BIF and, and BBB. That's, that's another trillion dollars. So we're up to about $3 trillion. And then they've already passed legislation that spends a couple, but are like $5 trillion right now. And if people actually, if voters look at this and go, yeah, I don't quite know what's in all that. I just know that it's a shitload of money. And I know that that uh, gas is, is going up and, and it costs more money to go to the, the grocery store. If they sort of have a sense that it's just a lot of spending for other people for things that don't actually address their problems, uh, then that's a real problem. I mean, people need to remember that. You know, that people may say they're in favor of certain things to pollsters individually, but if the overall sense is this is bad for the economy and it's bad for me, then it's not going to be a political winner no matter how you message that. Uh, that that's true. And and also perception is reality. I, people get the perception that, that it's going to be good for them because you tell them it's going to be good for them. I, I, you know, look, Trump, for all of his gazillion flaws as a, as a politician, uh, you know, we don't need to list them all. We've done that ad nauseum yeah. for half decade. Like, he, he had some things that he was good at. And, like, one of the things he's good at is you think if in this moment with all these prices going up, you wouldn't have him do some stupid you know, fake executive order in the West Wing that talks about how he's going to deal with the rising prices and all this sort of stuff like that. That was the part that he was good at. And and and, and there's just not that sort of nimbleness right now um, that to, to to match the concerns of real people with with what they're doing. And I just there was a there was a time, I think maybe three weeks ago or four weeks ago, where I was out there saying, I, I think maybe some of these bad pulse Biden are outliers. Like, let's wait, yeah, let's yeah. wait and see. We wait and saw. And like, I, I think his numbers are now actually worse than people realize. Um, if you look at some of these state polls and stuff and, and I, that's not good. And no. so like they got to They got to They got to pivot. And you saw a little bit of it yesterday with how he's talking about this and talking about inflation and all that. But 
But, you know, I thought that was important for him to em- emphasize that he has yeah. to, somebody is telling him you have to address the question of the deficit and of inflation. You need to speak to those voters as well. OK, so let's put everything in context. What happened yesterday? So yeah. um, our, our, our mutual friend, Mike Murphy, tweeted out what a day on the Hill. Dems blow past yet another deadline as they learn what life with their own Freedom Caucus feels like. Speaker Pelosi tried to throw Terry McAuliffe a last-ditch life preserver, but these safe-seat progressives threw him a battleship anchor instead. Unbelievable. Okay, so let's talk about Virginia. Terry McAuliffe, the Democratic candidate, uh, uh, in, in a lot of trouble. Um, I know you talked about this on the live stream, which Bulwark Plus members have access to. And I want to get your take on all this new Fox poll out, new Fox News poll showing Republican Glenn Youngkin up by eight points. Uh, this yeah. is this is this feels like it slip sliding away. Yeah, there, there's a post poll, Washington Post poll out this morning that has uh, has uh, McAuliffe up one. So, um, you know, uh, it's hard to tell, uh, um, obviously, whether that Fox poll is an outlier or the beginning of a trend. Uh, I, I saw somebody made an interesting point this morning. And you remember, this happened in the first year of Obama in, in an even bluer state, Massachusetts, with Scott Brown. Um, you know, taking that taking that Senate seat, um, and uh, you know that, that was crucial, uh, much more crucial than this is really in the grand scheme of things as far as passing legislation was concerned, and and you know, Mass- you know uh, Massachusetts was I guess two two x more Democrat than than Virginia is right now, so it's very plausible that that uh, it's not it's not completely impossible that Youngkin could win by five, six, seven, eight feels like really that I, I think that would just be a supernova, um, but. Uh, look, I, I think it's. I th- there are two things that are happening at the same time. Um, one is enthusiasm. In California, this ended up evening out at the end. That there were a lot of kind of lukewarm Democrats who weren't excited to vote but did anyway. Um, Democrats need that to happen again in Virginia because there's a major enthusiasm gap in these polls right now. Uh, the second thing is, you know, your RVAT voters, your Red Dogs, your Northern Virginia former Republicans. Uh, Youngkin, they, they, Youngkin has successfully branded himself as less crazy than the crazy. Now, I, he, he, you know, he, I'm not buying what he's selling on that, but I think that Democrats need to be eyes wide open on the fact that that, that is working. And, and if you look at the new groups of swing voters, the two groups of swing voters, these kind of older working class Democrats that had moved to Trump, and, and then you have these suburban, highly educated Republicans that moved to Biden, I, the Democrats are in deep doo-doo to use a technical term, if they don't do anything to bring back the working class folks that moved from their, the union guys that moved from their camp to um, uh, the Republican camp, and then lose the suburban Republicans back to uh, uh, the Republicans. Uh, like that, like that is, the math doesn't work for them then. And, and Youngkin is navigating that. And so I think that the big lesson from this is just talking about Trump is you know, if it goes if it goes wrong, if the polls end up being wrong, this is a Northam situation. You got you can erase all this punditry, and we can revisit it next week. But but if it is closer, if it is what we all expect, which is a close race, I, I, the the lesson is that you have to wedge these guys on uh, in other things. It can't just be about Trump. Uh, you know, you have to turn the Republican you know crazy, and there is a lot of it. I think that Youngkin kind of really did a good job of tagging McAuliffe with with some of the far left stuff being pushed in schools um, in Northern Virginia, which some of these parents don't like. Some of that was unfair. Some of it was fair. 
But, but McAuliffe has not done a good job of tagging Youngkin with, oh, you're the candidate of these anti-vax lunatics that are screaming at school board members and stalking their homes, right? Like, you, you have to, it can't just be about Donald Trump, at least for now. If Donald Trump runs again in 2024, you know, maybe that changes. But, uh, you know, the Democrats just have not done a good job of of either winning that battle in these suburban swing voters, in this Virginia race at least, or doing something to tamp down the Trump voters outstate who should be looking at this Carlisle executive in his vest and being like, this guy's not one of us. But the Democrats don't even seem to be fighting on that ground. So so those are basically, you know, the, the dynamics that have led us to a close race in a place where it really shouldn't be close. So as we are speaking, Mr. Miller, um, Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, uh, one of the stand-up guys who uh, voted to impeach Donald Trump, one of the two Republican members of the January 6th Commission just posted a video saying that he will not seek re-election next year. Not tremendously a surprise given redistricting, but um, another one gone. Another one of those incredibly rare voices. Uh, so you you mentioned before you're skeptical about Liz Cheney's path to re-election. Um, Adam Kinzinger is moving on to his next endeavor. Yeah, I think it's over, Charlie. I mean, uh, you know, we are the dodo bird um, here, uh, and it was just a matter of time. Gonzalez gets bullied out in Ohio, um, Kinzinger, and I and I don't, I just don't see Cheney's path to victory. I love that. I wish, I wish Adam would run. I mean, and I'm, uh, I know Adam pretty well, and um, I understand. You know, it's, you got to move on with your life, and it's a lot of pain. But I, I like the fact that Liz is going to run, even if it's going to lose. And uh, you know, I, I always, I said that during the Trump years. I wish Jeff Flake would have stayed and run, stayed and fought. Like there's value in a fight, even in a losing fight. But but he's been fighting a good fight, so credit to him. But yeah, look, I, I, I think the question is, you know, uh, and this goes back to my original Red Dog article, I, how can the Democrats attract these type, the Adam Kinzinger types of people and actually bring them in? And it doesn't feel like they're trying that hard. No, they're and, not. And, 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 and that, uh, you know, I, I think that it's a, it, it is not a winner politically if, if these folks end up just sort of moving into this no man's land. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, there should be an effort a recruitment effort. And I, I've shared this with, with folks at the various democratic committees, but I, you know, it's tough. Like there are other, a lot of other demands, but I, I think that the reality of the de- the, is that there is, there isn't one, there certainly is no room for an Adam Kinzinger in the Republican party anymore. It's an open question whether there is in, in, in the other party. Maybe yeah, there I, isn't. I, I don't. I don't see him moving that way because he he is still quite conservative. Uh, Liz Cheney is still quite conservative. Right. But you know this pattern that we're talking about. I mean, Representative Gonzalez uh, announcing he's not going to run for a reelection. It is the self deportation of the sane, principled yeah. members of this party. So not only do you lose those voices, but they'll be replaced by people who are inevitably going to be more deplorable. I mean, maybe the Democrats will pick up the seat, but it's more likely that in many of these cases it will be a more Trumpian Republican. So that. The Congress next year, it's it's not just that it will, if in fact Republicans win control, which I think is likely, it's not just that it will be more Republican and more conservative. It will be worse in every respect. It's that you won't even have these scattered voices, these principled voices. And of course, these become cautionary tales, right? That if you are a reasonable, principled, sane human being, do you really want to be part of the process? I mean, this seems to be happening throughout. You know, I, we were, I was discussing this yesterday. Um, 
whether you're a member of a school board or an elections official right. or a congressman or a governor, why do you want to do this? And so what's happening is, you know, the sane, rational, principled folks are, you know, exiting on their own and their place is going to be taken by the zealots. So, I mean, and that seems to be happening everywhere. So you have the Herschel Walker's you know, um, you know, enter stage right while Adam Kinzinger exits stage left. And how, yeah. how, how does this play? And I hear from these people that uh, this is happening at every level, right? So you have, yeah. you have, you have the brave voices like Kinzinger and Gonzalez self-deporting. You have the not brave, but normals. Well, as I mentioned earlier, like Richard Burr and well, Richard Burr's corrupt, but how about Rob Portman and Roy Blunt self-deporting? Uh, then you have people that might be normal not deciding to run. I, you know, we I hear from people like this who who consider themselves conservative. Like, what should I do? And you know, I can't advise them in good conscience to run a Republican primary. They have no chance. You know, and so so they just decide. Well, I, you know, I, maybe I'll just wait it out. Maybe I'll enter politics in a few years. Or uh, obviously, that they'll probably just move on with their life and never enter politics. So. So, so, and then you have at the local level, people who are like, I don't want to deal with this. Like people are going to come to my house and scream at me because I just want kids in school to be safe. Um, and so at every level you have, you know, these sorts of rational people leaving. It is, it is a massive problem. And I think if you look at the Republican caucus next year, it is going to be, it is going to be markedly crazier, markedly more pro-insurrection than it was while Trump was there. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. In fact, if you look at, I actually was looking at these numbers from 538 when I wrote a piece about uh, Gonzalez. The number of Republicans who have left since uh, January of 2017 when Trump came into office, it's a very, very different caucus now. And it will be dramatically different. If if he gets back into power, um, he will have, and let's say that uh, Republicans maintain control, it will be a very different government than we saw in the, in the first term. Yeah. And look, and I think that if you, you just sort of, uh, you know, if everything moves one standard deviation towards the crazy, you know, you can you can see the impact in other places. Like, I just, I, I want to rant really quick about DeSantis, if you don't mind. Please. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, like, like guess. you see, you see, you know, all over my Twitter feed, you know, slowly but surely I'm self-deporting from crazy <laughs> Twitter. Um, but, you know, I still keep on. Uh, you know, I want to know what uh, conservatives are saying, obviously. And, and so, you know, I keep on your, your Wall Street Journal types, your guy Benson types, your National Review types. And, 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 and the defense of DeSantis over everything is just everything. rabid, right? And so, so people who might have been on, the, on a more, you know, who you might have been able to convince to do, you know, the Romney, even the John Huntsman types, are now like looking around and saying, well, I guess I got to hold on to Ron DeSantis because he's the most normal one that is out there. And, and so you see them make these completely insane, you know, overwrought defenses of him. And, and, and on, the, on the virus stuff in particular, where, where all evidence now is that, is that DeSantis is being wildly irresponsible with this crazy-ass new sur Surgeon General if you look at the charts, Florida has skyrocketed up the deaths per capita chart since the vaccine. Skyrocketed. They've gone from in the 30s below the national average. Just today, they, they just did another dump of, uh, of data. Uh, they're up to seventh. Florida now is, is nearing New York and New Jersey and Louisiana, the states that had the, the, very, the original rush before we knew what to do, how to deal with this virus, before we even knew how it spread. Florida is now reaching those levels after we have a damn life-saving vaccine. And meanwhile, you have Carol, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, in the New York Post, 
who's, who's, you know, everyone in the quote unquote center right love has an article up last night. That's like Ron DeSantis is right again, you know, like, uh, because the case rate is going down in Florida. Life is going on. We didn't need all these bans and rules. And it's like, life is not going on since we had a life-saving vaccine. There've been 15,000 new deaths in Florida, but, 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 you know, because, you know, he now is the great hope, the great non-Trumpy hope, you know, for, for these people to grab onto, they have to like kind of squint and come up with a way that that just death and destruction looks good. And, and so, you know, I, I just think that is related to this whole process, right? When there are no other options yeah, out there, yeah. you know, then you, then you find yourself rallying behind you know, eat crazier and crazier and, and more and more irresponsible stuff. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, there's, it's moving the Overton window of crazy. And I was thinking about this in the context of what uh, what Tucker Carlson does. You take stuff that that, you know, would have been not considered anywhere you know close to the mainstream you know, when it was on Infowars and now it's on Fox. But then you also then move the Overton window of the acceptable candidate. And you're right. I mean, you can see that the National Review types are really like whipping themselves into enthusiasm for because and, you know, in part, it's because maybe they think, OK, we, we, we need to be we're not going to be pro Trump. We're going to be maybe Trump. But, you know, uh, we have to come up with an alternative. We want to be for somebody. And so DeSantis, uh, despite this horrific record, um, I mean, and, you, and you're and you're right. I mean, you can't overstate this. You criticize DeSantis and you get absolutely flooded, uh, flooded. with the DeSantis stands, you know, which what, whatever, whatever. No, okay. they're, they're, all these people were Marco Rubio um, in 2016. So you can see the extent of their influence. But um, the incredible yeah. shrinking uh, Marco Rubio. <laughs> that man's going to be about, uh, you know, two feet tall by the time this is all over. You're going to be just, just, you know. Hey. Hey, Charlie, it's Marco Rubio. I, 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 okay, I have a picture of myself with Marco Rubio. I was a Rubio guy once, uh, but but again, you know, we, we, we can't litigate, we cannot litigate the past. Oh, and so in any case, I have uh, already made an appointment to get my booster shot, Moderna, my third shot, so that'll be Good next week. So I will be, um, I will be more bulletproof. Are um, you mixing and matching, or are you nope, all, nope. all Moderna, man? Moderna, Moderna, Moderna. Just, mm. you know, staying with it. In part because I, what I, I like about the Moderna, it's not only is very effective, but I, I was reading a piece in The Atlantic where they pointed out that one of the reasons why it may be more effective is that they just give bigger doses. I mean, that, that bigger actually matters here, that the, 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 the larger dose is going to be more effective. So I'll let you know whether or not I have any side effects. I don't really care if I do or whatever because um, – and I'm not going to I'm not going to indulge any any of the uh, conspiracy theories or any of the other nuttiness. I mean, of all the things that have happened and so many things have happened over the by the way, I did a little little spit take when you mentioned we've been saying this for the last half decade, the last half, half decade, uh, half decade uh, of all the crazy things. Just w- watching people lose their minds over the vaccines is the worst because, you know, that that's going to spin into every other scientific debate every other choice we have to make every demand or request or requirement of having public spirit and uh, that's what's so can i can i yes. give you one more also also really depressing thing no no we, no i want you on, on, a, on a positive note but go on, I, I don't have any i don't know I'll, I'll talk about our halloween plans at the okay, end um okay. uh, here it is so think about this half decade i was thinking about this the other day um you know, if if you in 2024 are 27, you're in your mid 20s, not a not a kid, 
Like you're a grown, right. grown ass man or woman, 27, 28, like in your career, getting promotions, having families. When Donald Trump came on the scene and took over Republican politics, you were 18. Mm. So there, there is just, there is an entire generation of people for whom like this, it, you know, we always say this is not normal. This is normal. And like, and like, this is just how things are. And unless you're like one of those nerds like me who was 12 years old watching the Republican convention, getting a, getting a thrill at their leg with Bob Dole, if you're a normal child who was just, you wow. know, like playing video games or whatever, wow. like you don't, you don't have any perception of anything before this. And you, you know, you remember Obama and whatever, but you don't really remember, like, who they run against Obama? Uh, so that is it. The, 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 this is, and, and just think about what effect that has on the body politic and our, um, Okay, do, you know, do 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 that age thing again. So if you're how old? So if you're so if, so so if in eight you were eighteen in twenty fifteen when okay. Trump came on this on the scene, right? right so if right. you're in high school, right? When he runs again, almost certainly in twenty twenty four, right? Twenty twenty four. When that election ends, you'll be twenty seven, right? And if he's elected, if he's elected, you'll be thirty one <laughs> when he leaves. So like your whole life your will be Donald whole Trump. Whole life, yeah. And you know what? Given that. 30, 40 years from now, we're still going to be in a hangover period. Yeah. Here we are. So, okay. And, and not, okay. So, uh, you going trick or treating this weekend? Well, we're having a little Halloween gathering. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, she's dressing up as Peso the Penguin, which is a, it's from a niche television show called Octonauts. If your kids are looking for a show, it's on Peso Netflix. The you, you could not find Octonauts costumes because Octonauts went off the air in 2017. So, I paid, thank you, Board Plus subscribers. Like $65 for an eBay Octonauts costume because she's obsessed with the Octonauts. So I went, I did not go to the spirit. So I went above and beyond. I'm, like I, it is, this is like an antique. This is an antique costume. She's, uh, Peso, three, years, she's three years old. Yeah, yeah, she's three years old. Peso is a penguin doctor. He's a penguin doctor. And, um, you know, he goes and saves the other other little animals underneath the sea. So uh, she'll be she'll be a penguin doctor. I'm going to be uh, I'm going to uh, put on tiger ears and say I'm a tiger. Duh. Little mean girls inside joke for okay. about three people who get that. Um, my husband's going to be the dude for the big Lebowski. And I, we're going to have some friends over. And, uh, you know, with the grown ups will have grown up candy and the kids will have kids candy. And it'll be all good. That's a much better plan than I have. That'll be nice. I uh, will have to dress up the dogs or something, but I just have to warn you, uh, Tim. Uh, if you're if you're paying out sixty five dollars for a costume for your three year old now, you start saving up now for the prom dresses. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> oh my god! I have one other exciting thing though. Because we're having a Halloween party, I've made I have the epic Halloween playlist. So if you made it to the end of this show and you read Jim Swift's new letter, newsletter, I'm sending it to him right now. You can have a Halloween playlist of your dreams as well. Excellent. Thanks for coming on, Tim. I appreciate it. See you, Charlie. And thank you all for listening to this weekend's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back on Monday and we'll do this all over again.